you'll please take your Bible and turn to me at this time to the book of Habakkuk. You go, what? Habakkuk? Habakkuk who? What's Habakkuk? You know, it's, you know that, there's a good chance some of us may have never turned to the book of Habakkuk in our lives, right? I won't make you raise your hand. That's okay. You can raise your hand in your heart, okay? But, you know, it, it's there. It's right there in your Bible. I promise you, okay? It's right there. It's in your Old Testament. You got, you got to flip the ways through your Old Testament. You got to get past Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and you'll see several shorter books along the way. If you hit Zephaniah or Haggai or Zechariah, you've gone too far, turn back. Tiny little book, just three chapters. You might want to use your table of contents, but however you do it, once you find it, put a bookmark there, okay? Because we're going back there for the next six weeks. And, uh, and you'll, so you'll want to mark that. Uh, by the way, it's on page 929 in your pew Bible, after all of that. Um, but this is a, a great Old Testament book, an Old Testament prophet, but it has a very wonderful and practical message for us today in the 21st century as well. And we're not actually going to get into the, the whole book of Habakkuk until next week. Today I want to give us a general overview of the prophetical books in the Bible. We need to understand what are these prophetical books, and then as well as a general introduction to the specific book of Habakkuk. You know, Habakkuk has many beautiful and well-known passages, and uh, so for our scripture reading this morning, instead of reading a text that we will then uh, look at together, we'll, we'll do that next week, I'm just going to read to you a few verses from each of the three chapters in Habakkuk, just to give you a flavor uh, for the book and its contents. And you may even recognize some of these verses when you read them. You go, wow, you mean that's from the book of Habakkuk? I didn't know that. Uh, But these are some beautiful verses. And so I'd ask that you would stand at this time for the reading uh, from God's Word. And I'm not even going to put these up on the screen for you this time. I just want to read them to you, and I want you to listen to them. This is God's Word to you and to me this morning. Uh, From the first chapter of Habakkuk, verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Verse 5, look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Verses 12 and 13, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And then from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, but the righteous will live by his faith, or the way it's sometimes translated, the just will live by faith. Verses 13 and 14, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And then finally, uh, just a few verses from Habakkuk chapter 3 now, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. 
Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. Verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And then verse 19, the final verse in the whole book. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we've just taken a bird's eye view through a number of these beautiful passages from this book, Lord, I pray that you would just increase our appetite to learn more from you in the coming weeks uh, from this amazing book uh, in your word. Uh, Teach us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So before we jump into the book of Habakkuk, I want to start today uh, by addressing two questions uh, concerning the prophetical books of the Old Testament. Number one, why are we so unfamiliar with them? Why are we so unfamiliar with these prophetical books? And then number two, why are they important for us to study and learn? Why are they so important for us? There are 17 prophetical books in the Bible. And the first five, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, we call those the major prophets. And then the final 12, from Hosea to Malachi, we call those the minor prophets. Now, I want you to understand, you know, we use the words major and minor, but it doesn't mean like the major prophets, those are the most important ones, okay? And the minor ones, ah, not so much, okay? No, it's, it, what, those words refer to length. The major prophets, by and large, those are the longer books. So the longer prophets are put up front. Lamentations are a little shorter, but it's sort of attached to Jeremiah. And then the minor prophets, those are just the shorter books. Doesn't mean they're less important. That's why we call major and minor prophets. And you know, the prophets are probably the least read and the least understood of all of the books in the Bible. And yet they comprise 22% of the Bible's message, over one-fifth of the Bible as a whole. And so let's go back to our first question this morning. Why then are we so unfamiliar with these books? Let me offer you several reasons. There is an outline in your worship guide this morning. If you'd like to take that out to follow along, and uh, each of these uh, points are down here, but you might want to jot down some notes for yourself as well. Reason number one is their placement in the Bible. Their placement. Where are they? They're in the Old Testament, right? And let's face it, most of us are more familiar with the New Testament than with the Old, right? You know, some people get the idea that we no longer need the Old Testament now that Jesus has come. But it's not true. It's it's not that we no longer need the Old Testament. Rather, it's that we read the Old Testament in a whole new way now that Jesus has come. But the Old Testament still contains three-fourths, okay, of the revelation that God wants us to know. But you know, most people don't read the Old Testament, do we? A lot of pastors don't preach from it. But not only are the prophetical books in the Old Testament, they're also at the end of the Old Testament, right? So even when a person does start reading this, I'm going to read the Old Testament this year. Where do you start? Genesis. 
And you've got a long way to go before you get to the prophets. And sometimes people give up before they get there. So placement, placement. That's one of the reasons why we're so unfamiliar with these books. They're at the end of the Old Testament. Second reason has to do with language. Because the prophetical books, and you may or may not know this, they're mainly composed in poetry. They're written in poetry, and most of us probably don't read a lot of poetry today. We're far more familiar with prose, with narrative and prose. And then not only are the prophets written in poetry, they're written in Hebrew poetry. In Hebrew poetry, even when you translate it into English, okay, it's still a very different type of language than what we're used to in English poetry. So we might find the language and the imagery of the prophets difficult to understand. However, what's one of the, what's one of the most favorite books in the, in the Bible? Book of Psalms, right? Psalms are also written in Hebrew poetry, and people love to read that. So there's got to be some other reasons of why we do not read the prophets as much. Let me give you two more. A third reason is history. How many of you liked history in school? I'm sure some of you did, but for a lot of people, it's like, history, ah, yeah, that was a tough subject, wasn't it? Well, reading the prophets requires an understanding of the historical events that took place at the time of their writing. And the prophetical books take place largely during the time of the kings of Israel and the exile and Israel's return from exile. And if your eyes are glazing over and you're not sure what I'm even talking about when I say things like the kings or the exile or the return from exile, that's exactly my point, right? When we don't know the historical context behind the books, then it's very difficult when we read the prophets to understand what they're saying. And they don't only just address the, the history of Israel, that's most of it, but they also interact with the history of the surrounding nations as well. And that's why it's helpful for everybody, pastor included, okay? When you read through the prophets, get a good commentary on hand. If you don't know a good one and you're going to read a book, you know, talk to one of your pastors and say, what would be a good commentary I could read? And read that along with it. It'll really help you to understand. And then fourth reason why we're not as familiar with the prophets, it has to do with their theology, their theology. The prophets present many messages of judgment and doom, okay? That was one of their functions as a prophet. We don't like to think about God as a God of judgment, do we? We like to think of God as a nice God who forgives everyone. And so people often have trouble relating to the messages of judgment in the prophets. Let me just say something about that for a moment, okay? Very important. God does not change. God does not change from book to book in the Bible or even from testament to testament. God is the same everywhere. You do not find a different God in the Old Testament than, you know, and then another God in the New Testament. In fact, you find passages relating to God's judgment in all the various parts of the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New. And you find passages relating to God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness in all parts of the Bible, both the Old Testament and in the New. In fact, some of the most beautiful and profound passages describing God's love and mercy in the whole Bible, you're going to find in the Old Testament. Surprising to people. And some of the most powerful images of judgment are found in the New Testament. 
See, it's not a matter of different pictures of God being presented. It's simply different emphases. The prophets were sent for a specific purpose. They were sent to warn Israel, to warn Israel and the surrounding nations of God's coming judgment for their sin and idolatry. Why did God send the warning? In hope, okay, in hope that they would turn from their sins and thus avoid judgment. That's God's heart of compassion. Sadly, they did not, and so God's judgment fell in full force upon them. See, we need the prophets to help us balance out our unbiblical views of God. People often say things like, you know, well, the Bible says that God is love. He doesn't judge people. And yes, the Bible does say God is love. But the same Bible that tells us that God is love also tells us that God judges and punishes sin. The prophets help us to develop a fully biblical picture of God. So those are some of the reasons why we're unfamiliar with these these books in the Bible, the prophetical books, their placement at the end of the Old Testament, the fact that they're written mostly in poetry rather than prose, uh, the need to understand their historical context, the many messages of judgment and doom. That leads us directly into our second question about the prophets then. Why are they so important for us to study and learn? If they're tucked away at the end of the Old Testament, why would I want to read these books? Why would I want to learn from them? Let me give you three quick reasons why we need to read and study the prophets today. Number one, they deal with the weighty issues of life. The prophets deal with such things as God's character, God's uniqueness, God's sovereignty over all the nations, God's requirements for his people, the importance of justice and righteousness. And you know, without the prophets, our faith can grow kind of flabby, shallow, weak, and we become unable to stand up to the rigors and challenges of life. They deal with the weighty issues of life. And then a second reason why they're so important is the prophets point us to Jesus as the Messiah. They point us to Christ. Now, the whole Old Testament does that, right? The whole Old Testament points forward to the coming of Christ. But as you get closer and closer when you're reading through the Old Testament, as you get closer and closer to the time of Christ, the prophetical books become more and more specific about the coming Messiah who would bring salvation for all the nations. Some of the most startling And clear prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Where are you going to find them? Right in the prophets. It's right there. And then finally, the prophets help us understand God's plan for the ages. You know, without the prophets, we could never make sense of what happened to to Israel as God's people. We We couldn't make any sense of that at all without the prophets. We could not understand God's plan for the church in our present age. The prophets are essential for understanding God's plan for the ages, including our own future. So that's just a general introduction to the prophets. Now we're going to move from that a little more specifically, and I want us to focus on Habakkuk uh, in the time remaining for this message. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Uh, Remember, the minor prophets are just shorter 
than the major prophets. They're not less important. So very important book here, uh, as we're going to find out over the next six weeks. The book of Habakkuk was written by the prophet. Anybody know? Yeah, Habakkuk. There we go. That's an easy one. Habakkuk. Habakkuk who? Who is Habakkuk? Well, you know, we don't know a whole lot about him. His name only appears in the Bible twice, two times. In chapter 1, verse 1 of Habakkuk, and in chapter 3, verse 1. That's it. Uh, now, there's some sources outside of the Bible uh, that say he may have been from the tribe of Levi. But the Bible doesn't tell us one way or the other, so we don't really know. However, when we get to chapter 3, you're going to see that chapter 3 in Habakkuk reads like the Psalms. It's a musical poem, so it's very possible. Habakkuk may have been a, one of the Levites responsible for worship in the temple. Now, there's another book. It's not, not in the Bible. Uh, it's just all legend and myth, uh, but it's kind of fun. It's called Bell and the Dragon, an old ancient book, and uh, it mentions Habakkuk. And uh, the book says that an angel of God came and picked up Habakkuk by his hair and carried him over to Daniel in the lion's den and dropped him in, and Habakkuk gave him some food while he was there. Okay? Not in the Bible, folks, okay? That didn't happen, okay? That's just legend, but it's kind of fun, you know? So Habakkuk, you know, people, I think it's because they didn't know anything about him, people started making stuff up about him, right? Habakkuk's name, the meaning of his name, may be related to the Hebrew word for embrace. Embrace. And Martin Luther picked up on this when he wrote the following. He said, Habakkuk signifies an embracer, or, or one who embraces another, who takes him into his arms. He embraces his people and takes them into his arms. He comforts them and holds them up as one embraces a weeping child to quiet it with the assurance that if God wills, it shall soon be better. You know what? That's a pretty good description of who Habakkuk is and, and what he does throughout this book as he takes the comfort from God that God gives him and he shares it with the people of Israel. Uh, you might wonder, when did Habakkuk live and when did he write this book? And once again, we don't know exactly. You know, some of the prophets, uh, like Isaiah and, and others, they're easy because they actually tell us, Isaiah ministered during the reigns of this king, this king, and that king. All right? And then they talk about things that are happening in history. So you can pinpoint it. Oh, man, this is, this is the date when this happened. Uh, the one big clue we get from the book of Habakkuk is he writes about the rising power of the Babylonians and how they're going to come to invade uh, Judah. You have two kingdoms in Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And so that would place these writings somewhere between 612 B.C. and 587, about the time Babylon, Babylon's coming to power before the invasion. It would be over 100 years after the fall of the northern kingdom in Israel. That's 722 B.C., right before the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the exile of the people of Judah to Babylon in 586 B.C. And then finally, why? Why did Habakkuk write this book? What is this book all about? Well, it's a prophecy, of course. In particular, it is a prophecy about the coming invasion of Babylon, how God will judge the people of Judah for their sins, but it is also a prophecy of hope that God will treat his people justly and that there is indeed a future hope for them despite the coming judgment. Boy, that's a message we need to hear, right? Right? that there's hope for us as we turn to God 
as we turn from our sins and turn to God in faith and repentance. The book of Habakkuk is also a journey. It's really different from the other prophetical books. In in this one, it's not that the prophet is giving a prophecy directly. You know, like God speaks to the prophet and, and the prophet speaks to people. This is what God says to you. Instead, this prophecy is given as we we kind of get to overhear a conversation between Habakkuk and God. We get to overhear the conversation together. And in that conversation, we become witnesses of Habakkuk's own journey. He had to walk this path too. His own journey from questioning and doubt and confusion at the beginning of the book to by the time you get to the end of the book, one of the strongest statements of faith and hope and confidence that you will find in all of Scripture. Pastor uh, J. Vernon McGee puts it this way. He says, the book opens in gloom and closes in glory. It begins with a question mark and closes with an exclamation point. Habakkuk is a big why. Why God permits evil is a question that every thoughtful mind has faced. The book is the answer to the question, will God straighten out the injustice of the world? This book answers the question, is God doing anything about the wrongs of the world? This book says that he is. The book is the personal experience of the prophet told in poetry as Jonah's was told in prose. And so the story of Habakkuk is the story of the journey from doubt to faith. The journey from doubt to faith. And and how did Habakkuk get there? Same way you and I get there. He talked with God. He brought his questions and his complaints directly to God, and he hammered out the answers with God in prayer. Basically, the whole book of Habakkuk deals with three misconceptions that Habakkuk had about God. And this is where we're going to close things out today. Three misconceptions. And if we're honest, we'll admit that we sometimes have these same misconceptions about God ourselves. Here are the three misconceptions. Ready? Number one, God does not care. Misconception number one. Misconception number two, God is not fair. Misconception number three, God is not there. You ever feel that way about God? Habakkuk did. He was one of the prophets. That's the way things looked to him before he went to God with all of his doubts and all of his confusion. Let me give you a quick summary of these three sections. The first section is found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. deals with the first misconception. Basically, what's going on is this. Habakkuk, he is upset about all of the violence, all of the injustice he sees in his people in Judah. And in the midst of all of the wickedness, he asks God a question. He says, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? Don't you notice when the wicked abuse their power? Don't you care what is going on among your people? See, that's misconception number one, right? God does not care. And God answers her back by saying, yes, he does notice. Yes, he does care. And yes, he is going to do something about it. He's going to send the Babylonians to judge his people. And you know what? That may have answered Habakkuk's first question, but instead of helping him, it throws Habakkuk into a whole new state of crisis. 
And that brings us to the next section of the book, chapter 1, verse 12, through, through uh, the end of chapter 2. And Habakkuk questions God again. He says, the Babylonians, God? Are you kidding me? The Babylonians? How can you use the Babylonians to judge the people? They're even worse than we are. How can you use a more wicked nation to judge a less wicked nation? God, that is not fair. Oh boy, there's misconception number two, right? God is not fair. And God answers Habakkuk a second time. He says, hey, the Babylonians, they're going to be judged for their sin also, but all in God's timing. Meanwhile, the righteous will live by faith, trusting God to act justly in his own time. And that leads us to the third and final section of Habakkuk, all chapter 3. And uh, this chapter 3 records a prayer from Habakkuk to God. And the implied complaint behind this prayer is that God is not there. He's not there. That's misconception number three. But you know what? This time, and we'll get to in just a few weeks, instead of asking God to answer his complaint, Habakkuk answers it for himself as he reflects on God's works and wonders for Israel over the centuries. And in this time of prayer and reflection, Habakkuk finally comes to a place of hope and confidence in God that allows him to praise God with rejoicing even as he anticipates the most difficult of circumstances. So you see, that's what the book of Habakkuk's all about. It traces the journey from doubt to faith, from confusion to confidence, from despair to joy. And perhaps you struggle with some of these same misconceptions as Habakkuk did. Perhaps you sometimes wonder, does God care? Is God fair? Is God there? Maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe you're going through those struggles right now. If so, let me encourage you to do exactly what Habakkuk did. Take your complaints to God in prayer. Be honest and respectful before him. And allow God to take you on the same journey as he did Habakkuk. And so if you are struggling with doubt or confusion or despair this morning, I pray that through this study of Habakkuk, God will bring you to a new place, a place of faith and confidence and joy. Because that's what the book of Habakkuk is all about. It's the journey from doubt to faith. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, I'm so excited uh, that we're going to be able to spend some time in this book over the next number of weeks. And Lord, I I pray that you would indeed uh, speak to us uh, through your word today uh, as we've looked at these passages and an overview of this book and then as we dig in deep in in the coming weeks. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's in that place of doubt and confusion... Uh, Lord, that you would give them just a a bit of hope in their heart right now that that you can turn that around for them, that it's a journey that we all travel at different times, and sometimes we we travel and we go back and we travel it again, and we're sorry for that, Lord. But uh, God, we know that you have good things for us. You have good things for us in your word. You have good things for us in our lives. We just need to turn to you. We just need to put our faith in you. We just need to put our faith in Jesus, our Savior, who died on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that today and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.